Good morning again, uh, 59th Street family. We welcome those of you who are joining us a little bit later today as we continue in our sermon series, uh, Living Testimony, where we explore how the Christian faith is meant to be a testimony that's proclaimed, not just through our lips, but through our lives and through our actions as well. Now, last week, we talked about the idea of not deceiving ourselves, of not lying to ourselves by refusing to accept the truth of our unfortunate condition as people who consistently and habitually uh, do wrong throughout our lives. Uh, we talked about the necessity also of turning our lives to God and receiving the forgiveness of sins and also the freedom that that forgiveness brings into our lives. Now, as we move forward in our sermon series, John, he continues to touch on the idea of not lying to ourselves, but he shifts gears and he kind of presents a different situation, a different possibility as to how we could possibly deceive ourselves. However, rather than speaking to non-believers or to those who have kind of left the faith, John's audience now shifts to those who call themselves as Christians. So really, he's addressing us today. Now, this past Monday, Kai and I, we were watching uh, the movie called The Mule, uh, starring Christopher Walken. I think he was like 88 when he uh, made this movie, which is crazy. And in that movie, there is a tension between this man, Earl Stone, and the rest of his family. Um, you see, at the start of the movie, we were introduced to Earl Stone, who was a wonderful gardener, and he sold flowers for a living. Um, he worked hard at growing and nurturing these beautiful flowers. In fact, he consistently won prizes in Illinois for growing irises, which is that flower right there. And he actually named his only daughter um, after that flower. But what we learned quickly about Earl is that he always put work in front of his family, that he spent extraordinary effort in tending and caring for these flowers, he would partake in these conventions, he would go on these long-distance drives for work, and he would do all of that, then try to build or try to nurture a relationship with his wife and with his kids. And there was one pivotal scene early in the movie where after winning a prestigious award for growing beautiful flowers, we see him sitting in a bar with uh, the rest of his buddies, and he's kind of basking in the glory of this prize, and he's just about to buy everyone in the bar a drink when he sees another family, when he sees an Asian family celebrating their daughter's birthday, uh, not birthday, their daughter's wedding. And it was at that moment that he realized, oh shoot, today is my daughter's wedding, and I have completely forgotten about it. And you can kind of see the guilt come upon his face and his eyes, but he still made no effort to go. He still sat around at the bar, he still hanged out with his buddies, and he still continued to work, and he made no effort to attend his own daughter's wedding, despite realizing and remembering that this is probably something he should do as a father. And so for 17 years, he did not make any sort of reparations. He never apologized for never being with his family, and he always continued to still put work in front of his family, despite knowing that he shouldn't. And although he loved his family, although he wanted the best for them, his actions really told an entirely different story. And as a result of this, um, his wife, 
divorced him. Um, his own daughter refused to speak to him for 12 and a half years. His family chastised him, refused to invite him to family gatherings, and simply cut off all contact with Earl because his actions never matched up with his role as a husband and as a father. Now, in our passage today, we see that John is actually going to talk about a very similar situation. As John is speaking to the Christian church, he gives them a very solemn warning about something that he does not see happening in their lives, despite the fact that they should know better. And so let's take a look at that in our passage today um, from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. And it reads, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. As we look at our passage, John, he addresses some of the believers concerning the idea of self-deception, right? As I mentioned earlier last week, some people deceive themselves by thinking that they do not need God's forgiveness or that they're not sinners at all. However, in today's passage, we see that believers are deceiving themselves in a different way. We see that though they call themselves Christians, they do not obey God's command. So let's take a look at that in our first sermon point, stunted faith. Now when we look at our passage, we see John issuing a warning in verse 4 where he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And what this sort of hints at is that there are some believers in the church during John's time who think that they only need to understand God intellectually. They only need to read the Bible. They only need to know the truths about the Bible, but they refused to live that knowledge out through their actions and through their lives. They definitely know of God. They definitely know God's commands, but for one reason or another, they just refuse to live them out. And the thing is, this is actually not just an ancient problem that we can't relate to. Unfortunately, it's still a problem that persists today. Many people still claim to know God intellectually, but their actions do not reflect that type of knowledge. They might attend church, they might read the Bible, they might even pray every single day, but their actions towards others do not align with what Scripture teaches. Like Earl, who had the appearance, who had the role of a father and as a husband, but refused to live it out when the rubber hit the road, we might have the appearance of a Christian. We might even call ourselves Christians, but we might not live according to the standards and the values that God set forth in his word. And the problem with this, as John states, is that we become liars, um, we First of all, we lie to ourselves when we call ourselves Christians. Uh, Christ called all of us here to resemble him and to be like him. And although it's entirely impossible, of course, to be exactly like Christ in all of his perfections, our lives should still be marked by a constant yearning, a constant desire to transform ourselves into Christ-likeness. We should always consistently yearn to fulfill his commands of loving our neighbors and making disciples of all nations. We're called to carry our cross 
throughout our lives, not just moments of it, throughout our lives, and to follow Jesus. But more often than not, the truth is we just drop the cross and we kind of run the opposite direction. And the thing is, we still might know God in our minds and we possibly might still know God in our hearts. He might still be someone we look up to, but to say that we follow him would be entirely untrue. And we would essentially be lying to ourselves. And while we fail to live out the gospel, not only do we lie to ourselves, but we also lie to others as well. We claim to know God, but the moment we are analyzed by anyone outside the confines of this building, outside of this church setting, our lives are demonstrably the same as anyone else. And the tragic reality is that because of this, we are continuing to see more and more people leave the church as they see Christianity as an institution of hypocrisy rather than a place of life and love. We see people ashamed to even call themselves Christians, not because they're ashamed of Christ, but because they're concerned about being lumped in with other quote-unquote Christians and being seen as hypocrites themselves. And even non-believers, people who don't even believe in Jesus, they have no problem celebrating the work of Jesus as he brought justice and relief to tax collectors and prostitutes. But when they look at our lives, do they see the same sort of love that Jesus demonstrated? Do non-believers see the same type of love that Jesus calls us to emulate and to follow? Does obedience to God's command become more of an exception than a rule in our lives. So what are we supposed to do with this, right? Obviously, there's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame involved. Well, I think the first important thing is to confess, is confess this to God. Last week, we learned that forgiveness has tremendous power, and when we come face to face with the guilt that sits in our hearts, we have to openly confess that to God, knowing that he is merciful, knowing that he is just to acknowledge to God that we have failed to live out his commands, to confess that we have lied to ourselves and to others. But the beautiful thing is once we are forgiven, our guilts are wiped clean. And because they're wiped clean, we're now given a blank slate, a fresh start, a new beginning. We're now given a fresh start to now walk the talk. If we look at the first verse we read in our passage in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, we see John conveying the idea of obedience as evidence of one's knowledge and relationship with God. Basically, what John is saying is that the way to truly know God is to obey his commands. And if we turn our attention to the last verse we read in uh, verse 6, we also see John calling all believers to imitate Jesus' lifestyle and behavior as a demonstration of the relationship to him. We are essentially called by John to walk the talk or to live out what we know and claim to believe. Now, earlier we said that it's not enough to just have knowledge of God and his commands, but we're also called to put that knowledge into practice, right? I won't belabor that point anymore, but we're also called to align ourselves with God's will and to be obedient to what he has commanded us to do. And the reason why we're called to do this is not because it's some legalistic thing to gain our salvation. It's not to kind of make up for our wrongdoings, right? That's not the point, since we're already saved and we're also forgiven. But we're called to live out 
our obedience. Sorry, we're called to live our lives in obedience because that is the demonstration of our love for God. In our scripture reading earlier, Jesus tells us that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's truly the critical points because obedience to God is never supposed to feel or be a burden. It should not feel like you're bringing death into your lives or it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't feel like something you have to be guilted into doing. Rather, when we truly love God, obedience becomes a natural response to the love that God has given us first. Following God's command becomes something we desire to do, something we are excited to do, in fact. In my university days, um, I had a friend named Abigail who was very brilliant, um, very, very smart, but she wanted to drop out of college. She sort of hit a crossroad in life where she was beginning to lose interest in medicine and all the late nights of studying and doing her homework till like four in the morning definitely did not help her stress levels. Uh, but the thing is, she still had to go to school. It was her duty. You know, even though she didn't want to, she still had to go to school. Otherwise, her parents would get quite upset at her, and it became really a chore, a burden for her. And so despite doing well in school, despite studying, going to all her classes, it was a tremendous burden in her life. Living the ideal student life of getting straight A's was only leading to burnouts for her. And so as our, our, as our little circle of friends met up one day for lunch, um, she asked us for our advice. Um, she didn't want to drop out and disappoint her family, but school was really feeling like it was sucking the life out of her. Now, some of us, we, we suggested that maybe she should just take a gap year, right? Just, why don't you just take a gap year, relax, recharge, go on vacation, visit the world, you know, get your mind out of school. But the other advice that we settled on was this. Why don't you take a bunch of introductory courses in different subjects and see if any one of them click with you? Now, I don't exactly remember which four or five courses she took. I, I do remember she took philosophy and intro to psychology. And the only reason why I remember philosophy is that I recommended it to her, um, and she did not like it at all. But she did enjoy psychology quite a lot um, because it allowed her to stick in the science field, which was her forte, and she still desired to make a meaningful contribution to society. And so she studied psychology, and she saw psychology as a new avenue to find purpose and meaning in her life. And because of her newfound love for psychology, studying, which was once absolutely dreadful, absolutely stressful, became something that was desirable because it moved her further and further in her path to pursue her dreams. She didn't hate going to school anymore. She didn't hate working hard at something. She found a purpose worth sticking to because she finally found a subject that she loved a subject that sparked joy in her life, a subject that gave her a renewed sense of purpose and meaning. And so when we turn our eyes to God and experience profound love and profound joy, following God's command for us also no longer becomes burdensome. In fact, it can even give us a renewed sense of purpose and meaning. In verse 5, John says that if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in them. Made complete. 
that through this obedience, we too have something to look forward to and a purpose that drives us forward. And so let's take a look at that in our final sermon point of a perfected love. Um, Maybe I'm an absolute weirdo, which I admit I am, but one of my favorite things to do with my friends or with other people is I love to go grocery shopping with them. I love to say like, hey, can I join you and let's do some groceries together or run errands or, or do laundry. And the reason why I enjoy doing such boring and, and trivial things is that it allows me to walk in their shoes just for a little while. I think most of our lives, especially on social media, it's entirely manufactured, right? We show the best of what we do, the most exciting things, but that's not what our days and lives are like on a day-to-day basis. And so for a few hours, as I go grocery shopping or doing the laundry together, I get to experience what their life is like on a day-to-day basis. I get to experience their day-to-day pains, but I also get to experience their day-to-day joys as well. And through this mundane, but absolutely, I think, unique perspective, I'm able to learn so much more about them than if we just went to get coffee or lunch. And so when we, as Christians, when we are called to be obedient to God's command as Jesus was, what we're essentially being called to do is we are called to step into the day-to-day life of Jesus while he was still here on earth. We're given the unique perspective of what it means to love your neighbors as ourselves when we step into Jesus' shoes and watch him live it out. We're given the unique perspective of God's preferential treatment for the low in society. We're given the unique perspective of seeing life in all of its totality from God's point of view. Earlier, I mentioned that through obedience, we have something to finally look forward to. And what we find out is that this thing that we are looking forward to, this thing that gives us purpose and meaning, is really union with God. That as we step into the shoes of Jesus by living out the gospel commands, we are brought into an entirely different level of union with God. We are now living life as Jesus lived. We are now making life choices as Jesus would make them. And the inevitable end result of this union is that God's love will begin to shine out more brightly in our lives. We begin to understand what God's will or plan is for our lives. We begin to see ourselves as an extension of God's love. And as we act out God's will in blessing others, we literally become the body of Christ. We literally become his hands and his feet. And this type of perfected love that John talks about, it's not a feeling, it's, it's not a duty, rather it is a state. It is a state of being in union with God by aligning our will with his. It's a love that transforms us, making us literally more like Christ, and it also allows us to see the world in an entirely different way. It's a love that brings us closer to God as we walk in his footsteps. And for us as Christians, I believe that this is the ultimate goal of our faith, and it can only be achieved through our obedience to God's plan and will. The thing is, it's, it's certainly not easy to walk as Jesus did, but it's definitely a love that is worth striving for. 
And it is a love that I believe will change your lives forever. And so, brothers and sisters, as we gather here today, as the body of Christ, literally the body of Christ, I encourage us all to strive for this sort of perfected love, this union with God, to walk in Christ's shoes in order to be united with him in our will and in our spirit. And so let us not deceive ourselves or others anymore by calling ourselves Christians, but, letting our, but let us let our lives be a living testimony for everyone to see. That as we live out the gospel in our lives, people will see Christ in us because we have united ourselves with him. So let our lives be a reflection of his love and his grace, and let our lives truly be the light of the world. Amen. Let's come together for a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today to first of all confess. Uh, Lord, we confess that we indeed have lied to ourselves, we have lied to others, and we have even lied to you, Lord. Uh, we call ourselves Christians, but when we take a clear inventory of our lives, we fail to see the same sort of sacrificial love that your son demonstrated. Uh, you called us in the world, you called us to be in the world, but not of the world, but yet we still choose to be of the world. And so we ask for your forgiveness, Father, knowing that you indeed are merciful, that you do understand the weaknesses of our hearts and the temptation to stray, because you face the same thing in your life. You have walked in our shoes. But at the same time, Lord, we pray for you to allow us to develop the love to be obedient to you, to see obedience as an opportunity now for us to walk in your shoes and to see the world as you see it. And out of this perspective, we pray, Father, that you'll transform our lives to resemble your son. And so we thank you, Father, that you've given us such a unique opportunity and pray that we will continue to be obedient to you in love. We pray this in your precious son's name. Amen.